Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. All right, as we come towards the end of the year, and also I guess timing with a lot of the thinking and planning and praying that I've personally been doing and along with the eldership of the church, uh, I really want to share a word with you that I, can, that I sincerely believe with all my heart can set your life on a very, very specific path of destiny. I want to ask you a question this morning, and I want you to answer it honestly in your heart. Are you carrying a specific dream? Is there a specific vision that you have received from God that you are carrying in your heart? It's a vision that you don't even have to consult your diary or your piece of paper that you've written it down on because God's burned it into your heart. He's etched it into your life. Because today I want to say to you, if you're not yet carrying that type of vision, then this morning I want to give you the keys to how you can get one. Because without a vision, the people perish. Another translation says, without without a, a picture of the future in your heart, you will dwell carelessly. You won't be able to count your days and number your days Because one just seems to drift into the next because you're not heading anywhere. Can you imagine going to a rugby game where there's no goalposts? Can you imagine going to a soccer game where there's no goal? Nobody would know what to do. There isn't a purpose anymore in those players going out on the paddock. God wants to give you a goal, a vision, a dream and plant it emphatically into your spirit. It's not just these motivational speaker things I'm talking about. You can have a vision for your life. By this time next year, you could all be millionaires. (laughs) There's a few takers there. Oh, is that a word from God? We're not just talking about motivational speaking this morning. We're talking about God speaking to you personally. God imparting His thoughts, His plans, His idea. God putting His dream into your heart. Not something that you just want to think up because you just want to have a couple of good ideas that's going to keep you chugging along. Because those things never last. But a dream from God burns in your heart. A dream from God pulls you into the future. A dream from God causes you to to be constantly in prayer over that thing. Sometimes even in tears, as it so gripped your heart, that whenever you pray about it, you feel the emotion of heaven over your life. I have a dream like that. Last year when I was on sabbatical, the Lord said to me, James, you've been in ministry nearly 30 years. You've pastored five churches. And you think that you're cruising in for a landing. He said, don't go planning for retirement because he said, by the year 2030, I want you to plant seven more churches. So in the next 12 years, this church is going to plant seven more churches. Now, that's, to me, that's not even 
To me, it's not even in question. It's in my heart. Why is it in my heart? Because the Holy Spirit spoke to me. The Holy Spirit put it in me. And so I look at a vision like that. And you know what? We need a God kind of vision because if you can achieve it in your own strength, it's not from God. Hello? What's faith forecasting? Faith forecasting is when God speaks to your heart and you begin to take measured steps along the way that are out of your reach. For those steps to come to pass, you need God actively involved in your life, step by step, here a little, there a little, and suddenly the miracles come. Suddenly the breakthroughs come. Suddenly those things that are perceived impossible with man are not impossible with God. You know, so often we think about dreams or visions because of the society that we live in in the Western world. It's all about getting more, the acquisition of things, the house, the car, the boat, the motorbike, the motorbike, the motorbike. (laughs) Did I say the motorbike? Yeah. But the Bible says that that's not the purpose of life, just getting more. The purpose of your life is far greater than simply growing up, going to school, making money, preparing for retirement, and going six foot under. Your life is far greater than that very simplistic, consumer-driven vision that Western culture so often thinks. And here's a truth today. We'll put it up on the board. The truth is that we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Hello. (laughs) Having it all is not enough. There's more than just the good life. Having goods, looking good, feeling good. Amen. There's a far better, higher, abundant life than we have than just that today. What we really need, friends, is we need a dream from God. We need a why in your life. And here's another truth on the board this morning, that people lose their way when they lose their why. People lose their way when they lose their why. What is your purpose? Do you know what your purpose is for this week? Do you know what your purpose is? For 2018, are you figuring out some of the things that God has locking down into your life and which he's calling you to do today? And so when you get something from God, there's a significance to it. And there's a great sense of a satisfaction in your soul that you're living for the reason why he made you. You're in the rhythm of his grace. You're flowing in the destiny of God's plan over your life. Suddenly you're hitting your sweet spot. Suddenly you are able to do things that nobody else can do because they haven't been given to them, they've been given to you to do. And when you begin to do them, there's a sweet spot that you begin to walk in within your life where you begin to see the favour and the power of God working and moving in and through your life today. And I want to put a warning on this this morning. What we're talking about today is not just about changing your behavior. If you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, well, I'm not quite sure if I really do have a dream. I'm not really sure if I am sitting on a a vision. And, you know, I've got a few things that are a little bit wobbly in my life, some things I need to switch up, some behavioral issues that I need to change. So, right, I'm going to go and change those behaviors. Friends, it's not about changing your behavior. 
It's about changing the direction of your life by having a vision that God is calling you forward into. When God places a vision within your life, suddenly it's no problem to change your behavior because you're going somewhere. You're heading somewhere. You're fixed. You're focused. Your mind and your spirit are locked on to Jesus Christ today. So if we want to shortchange our lives, let's just focus on changing our behavior. Because that ain't going to cut it. Especially if we start focusing on externals when we haven't touched the internals of the things that are ticking inside that make us do what we do. We've got to change our relationship to things if we're going to make a permanent change. For example, we've got to change our relationship to food to have a long-term change on how we look. We've got to change our relationship to money if we want to get out of debt and stay out of debt. Hello? And we're going to have to change our way we relate to God if we're ever going to grow spiritually because some of us have stopped growing. You know, save people serve. There's an outflow of ministry that automatically happens out of your heart, out of the, the gratitude and the well of salvation that God's put within your life. And also, save people grow and they change. That's called discipleship. Because the Spirit of God is at work within our hearts. You know, we're going to have to change sometimes the way we view our relationship with our husband or our wife. It's all in the way that we're thinking about it today. If you want your marriage to be better, you can't just change your behavior. You've got to see what your marriage really is in the sight of God. Can I hear an amen this morning? So what we need is not a television. What we need is a vision. Amen? We need a vision from God. We need God to rifle something into our spirit. So I want, this is what this message, and I'm going to do a part two on it because I want to break it down into bite-sized chunks this morning. And this is what this message is all about. How can I get that vision from God? Because it's in the Word of God today. How can I really know that vision? How can I really know it's from God? And how can I begin to work with that vision in my heart? There's a small book. It's, it's in the Minor Prophets. A prophet called Habakkuk. Some say Habakkuk. Some say Habakkuk. Sounds like tobacco or something like that, Habakkuk, but it's not all right this morning. You know, it's interesting. We should, we should have the opportunity to take time. I love reading the Minor Prophets. They're very short books, but there's some incredibly powerful words in the Minor Prophets. And I don't want to get to uh, heaven and then one day Habakkuk walks up to me and he says, G'day, James, I'm Habakkuk. I say, you're who? I've never heard of you. Didn't you read my book? Didn't you read the book? It's in the Bible. Uh, no, I just kind of mainly just, you know, read other parts of the Bible, but I never went to Habakkuk. Well, we're going to go to Habakkuk today. And the reason why we're going to go to Habakkuk today is this. Contained in the first two chapters of the book of Habakkuk is God's method for getting his vision into your life and carrying a dream from God. Are we ready this morning, church? Are we ready to go? So the background of the book of Habakkuk is simply this. The, the nation of Israel is in chaos for a number of reasons. First of all, they're in an economic recession. So financially, they're in trouble. Isn't it amazing? When America's all good, 
When America's all good, it's all sweet. They have no need. But when a country like America, and I pick on America this morning because we all talk about the great American dream. And the American dream for, for most Americans is all about feeling wealthy, healthy and wise and having everything laid on for them. But when recession hits, everybody feels the pinch. It's like they say this, in, in warfare, in real battle, there's no unbelievers in foxholes. As shells are raining down and bullets are flying everywhere, that our, often our, our relationship towards God is often determined by the need that's happening around about. Are you on step with me, God? So number one, they're in economic session. Number two, many of them are out of work and many of them are starving. There's a famine. Thirdly, they're in constant conflict with their enemies, as they still are today here in the 21st century, the nation of Israel. And fourth, they're about to be attacked by terrorists. Does that sound familiar? Because that's exactly what happened in the book of Habakkuk. And so Habakkuk in the first uh, chapter, he asks a number of questions, and I've outlined four of them. And basically the first question he says, why is this happening, Lord? Have you ever said that? Why is this happening, Lord? Second thing, he says, are you, what are you going to do? Are you going to do anything about this stuff? Thirdly, how long is this going to take? Hello, are there any bells going off inside today? How long is this going to take? And number four, why do I have to put up with this? Come on, is there anyone honest in the house today? So he has a whinge, he has a moan, and he asked all these futile questions in which he obviously doesn't have the answer. And then it comes to chapter 2, and he says, Okay, God, I've said my piece, I'm going to shut up now, and I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to find out what you want me to do. I'm going to come and find out what the vision is that you have for my life. Because you see, friends, when you have that vision, those questions are not so urgent in your mind anymore because the vision will always overpower futile questions because you can't get rid of it. It's burned into your spirit. And if you can get rid of it, then maybe it's not a vision from God. Maybe it's some nice thoughts that you've had about the future of your life. But if you can discard it very easily and quickly, then perhaps it's not a vision from God today. So... <clears throat> Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1, we start off with the prophet saying this. So he's had his whinge, he's had his wine, and he's asked these questions of the Lord. And in verse 1 he says, I will. He starts off with a decision that's built in strong desire. In other words, his desire to find answers for his life is greater than his current conundrum. He says, I'm going to do something about this. And what does he do? He says, I will climb up into my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Mm. Watchtower, that's a Hebrew expression. It simply means this. I'm going to go and sit down and shut up. I'm going to go and get quiet and I'm going to go and start listening to God instead of allowing my circumstances to dictate everything that's going on around about my life. Verse 2, Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer. In other words, God's going to speak. If you seek Him, He's going to speak. Write my answer plainly. 
clearly so everybody can read it on the tablet so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. God says, I'm going to give you the vision for your life, Habakkuk. I'm going to spell it out so clear for you. I'm going to give you a dream for the future, your future, and for the future of Israel. And I want you to write down. I want you to journal. You know, when God speaks to me, I get into the habit of, because I hardly ever handwrite. Have you ever tried handwriting when you've been typing for years? It's like you get writer's cramp just after a few lines of writing again. But I make a habit whenever God speaks to me personally, I handwrite the message down because when I write it down, it gets etched into my brain. And the experts will tell you that you'll remember. That's why people who take notes at university on their laptops, they have greater difficulty recalling the lecture than somebody that's taken handwritten notes because your hand and your brain connect together. So when God speaks to me, I, I hand write it down and it gets etched into my spirit. And so he says, here's the future. And then he says, then he says, here's a caveat at the end, verse 3. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, <laughs> hello, <laughs> if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. You see, the vision, the dream that God has for you, it probably won't happen straight away. But you need to know that if it's delayed, it's surely still coming. It will come to pass. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he not spoken? Shall he not make it good? The book of Numbers tells us. So God's word is emphatic. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. What God says will always come to pass. It might be delayed in coming your way, and you might have to exercise some patience for it to come, but it will, according to verse 3, it will surely take place. It will not be delayed in the end. So the first step, friends, to you, for you to get your uh, vision from God is that I want God's vision for my life. It's got to be desire. There's got to be a desire within your heart that's greater than your current circumstances where you're going to do what you have to do in order to go to God to hear what He has to say. I want your dream. I don't want to follow my own thoughts because my ways, God, are not your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, your ways are so higher than mine. And I could just follow my own thoughts and my own ways, but they're not going to lead to where you've destined my life to go. So I've got to want with all desire, with a fervent heart, I've got to want. You see, Habakkuk was in this situation where it was all going wrong. Economic recession, famine in the land, enemies all around them, terrorist activities taking place around the country. And he's asking all these questions, but at the end of the day, he knew the answer. He knew the answer lay with God. And he knew that what he had to do was that he had to want that more than anything else, more than all the excuses, more than all the reasons that he could conjure up within his mind as to why this was taking place. He had to go to the source. He had to go to heaven and get what heaven had to say. He says, I will go up into my watchtower. He says, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to spend some time with God because I've got to know His will for my life. I've got to get this dream that God has for my life so I can begin to turn the ship 
So I can begin to get all my resources and all the things and the responsibilities that God's put under my domain and begin to turn them around to face the direction of the dream. It's your responsibility to put the mast up. It's God's responsibility to bring the wind, to get the boat moving. And so when you hear from God, you're putting the mast up and all of a sudden you're mobile, you're active, you're heading in the direction that God wants you to go. You see, and the point of this is really this, is that you're not going to hear God unless you really, really want it. God's not going to give a dream for your life if you want to debate it with Him. God's not going to give you a dream for your life if you just want to discuss it. God's not going to give a dream for your life if you're just going to end up saying, well, let me think about that. Whatever He tells you to do, do it. That's what Mary said to the servants at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. Crazy thing. Fill these water pots up, these giant 60-gallon pots. Fill them up with water and bring them to the feast. Oh, yeah, right. All the guests are going to love a glass of water at a wedding ceremony, at a wedding feast. But Mary had the wisdom and she said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And that's the attitude. When you want with all your heart what God's dream is for your life, you've got to be able to come to that place and attitude that whatever he tells you to do, you're prepared to do it. You're going to talk your way out of it. You just want to discuss it. You want to reason with it. You want to debate it. Then God's probably not going to give it to you. Can I hear an amen from this quiet Presbyterian church this morning? Hallelujah. It's got to be a necessity. I've got to have your dream, your vision for my life. And when we get desperate enough, we're going to begin to hear, hear from God. You know, many people talk to God, but they never hear from God. We've been taught that prayer is a monologue. I had my prayer time. I went flat stick from our Father. To yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. It was... Amen. You never even gave God a chance to talk to you. You never made room in your prayer time to hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. You just had to offload, and you offloaded, and then you went away, and you felt a whole lot better because you just said a whole lot of words. But can you imagine... I got married to my darling Viv and we went on a honeymoon and I just constantly talked to her. She never said a word back to me. I never even allowed her to say a word to me. Every time I thought she was going to say something, I said, oh. Is that relationship? Yeah, why do we so often do this in our prayer life? Why do we so often, we do all the talking and we never let God speak to us? That's not prayer, friends. That's a monologue. God wants to get rid of our monologue. This is a two, He wants us to get our two-way receiver flowing so that we can begin to dial into the frequency of heaven and begin to hear God's voice. Deuteronomy 4.29 says this, from there, uh, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him. If you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul, God says, I guarantee you, Money back, guarantee that if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me, you will get the vision, you will have the download from heaven, and you will be carrying something of significance from heaven because you've heard the voice of the Lord. 
Hallelujah. After desire, wanting it with all my heart, the second step is this. We need to withdraw. Withdraw means that we need, I'm not talking about joining the monastery. I'm not talking about going to a, um, you know, my sister, who, my sister who is a, who's a new ager and I love her dearly. She went, a couple of years ago, she went out Kalkopa Copper somewhere, out to this thing and it was a two week silent retreat. Nobody was allowed to talk. You couldn't, you couldn't say a word. You know, you'd look at somebody. Let <laughs> me look it back at you. Just, you know, try not to maintain eye contact here because some of us would find it very difficult not to engage the lips when somebody's staring right back at you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what Jesus did where he often withdrew from the noise and the clutter and the crowds and he came apart by himself away from the noise away from the clutter, away from the iPod, the television, the laptop, the iPad, away from the cell phone, away from being connected to that jolly internet, to come to a place where you can come. What did someone say once? If you don't come apart, you're going to come apart. If you don't come apart to be with God, then eventually you'll come apart at the seams. Your life will begin to unravel. And I know that this isn't easy in the 21st century. Man, my time of pastoring, I tell you what, it's so, you know, any of you could, you know, you could, you could go and listen to some of the top, you could, be, you, you could be home right now watching Jensen Franklin preach. Just an amazing, incredible preacher. You could be watching Reinhard Bonnke preaching to millions of people. Because the world we live in has changed so much. You can watch any video, you can listen to any MP3, you can dial up a sermon from anywhere around the world. The world has changed. And what has become difficult in that is finding time where you can disconnect from all the hustle bustle and the busyness of your life and the lifestyle that you have and begin to carve out some solitude where you can be good. And I, I know what it's like, you know, when, when uh, my children were young, Three young boys, all boys, busy, busy, boys, busy, busy. Active, 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 hyperactive sometimes. You know, and so what do you say to a young mum? Oh, that's all right, Pastor James. Oh, yeah, it's just a luxury, coming apart, you know, unless you come apart. You're, how do I ever do that? I've got three little nippers around my ankles. How am I ever going to come apart? I want to tell you a story about uh, two boys, brothers, out of a family of 18 kids. 18 kids. You talk about being busy? You talk about being busy? And two of, these, two of these young men from this family, two of these boys, and this is no exaggeration, you can look in the history books, two of these young boys literally not only changed the world for Christianity, but they changed the culture of the society that they lived in. You know what their names are? John and Charles Wesley. John Wesley preached in great revivals with the power of God, and he was the founder of what eventually became the Methodist Church because John Wesley downloaded a plan, a dream, a vision from God about how to methodically disciple people. That's why it's called the Methodist because he downloaded a methodical discipleship plan because all the other churches were all religious. You could come and sing, oh, 
But you could never follow Jesus and get into the Word. So John Wesley said, we need to train people in the Word. We need to disciple them methodically. Uh, they got saved, but they got discipled. And Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 songs. And everybody was, he, he changed a nation through music. He changed the world. And even today, three or four hundred years down the track, we're still singing those hymns that Charles Wesley wrote. How is that for impact? How is that for generational download? Wow. Now here's the point. How did a mother who had 18 kids, and John Wesley said this, he attributed, he attributed the power of God in his life to the prayers of his mother. But she had 18 kids. So you know what, you know what Susanna Wesley did? When they used to go to church, they used to take up three pews. All the kids were violent. One, there's one pupil, there's another pupil, there's the other pupil. 18 kids. But Susanna Wesley taught her kids, when you see mama sitting in the rocking chair and you see her apron flipped over her head, do not disturb. If you disturb me, you will get what New Zealand society no longer allows us to do. <laughs> and for one hour every day, Susanna Wesley would pray. And two of her boys changed a nation. Wow. Friends, it is possible. At every stage of life, it is possible. Luke 5, 16 says this. So Jesus often, what does often mean? It means it was a habit. Not I'm going up to the mountains to seek the Lord. And I'm going to spend a week up in the mountains. And you do it once and you never do it again in your life. <laughs> it says Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Why did he do that? You'll see in Scripture that everybody was running around looking for him. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? We can't find Jesus. <laughs> they were running here, there and everywhere. And they finally found him. He was up the mountain because that's exactly the reason why he had to withdraw because he knew everybody would be chasing him. And we live in a busy world. And in many ways, our life is no different. And with that, with that GPS pocket thing in your pocket, you are contactable if it's on. You are contactable 24-7. So somehow we need to find a way of disconnecting so that we can connect with him. Amen. He often withdrew. It was a habit within his life, a place of no distractions. It might be your favorite chair. It might be your rocking chair. Hallelujah. It might be a place where you can go. It might be a park. It might be a seat. It might be somewhere out in nature where you can take a seat where you're not going to be disturbed. The point of the matter is, is where is your place where you can withdraw on a regular basis? to download something fresh from God. Is the Lord speaking to you this morning, church? How about the message translation, Matthew 6, 6, listen to this. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense His grace. 
So often it's hard to focus on Jesus. so hard to focus on God. We've got so much going on in our mind. But when you find that place of withdrawal, when you find that place where you can connect with God, then eventually if you stay there long enough, because I want to tell you, friends, it's, it's not like, and we know this isn't real. Right, I'm going to go to sleep on the count of 10. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Are you asleep by the time you get to what? Ah, oh, come on. But sometimes that's what we try and do. We expect to quickly hear from God. We expect to, when we come apart, it's all going to just flow. No, friends, it won't flow most likely because your mind is still overactive. It's still too busy. It's still distracted. Be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage. I like that. In other words, be authentic. Be real. Stop pretending to be the man. Stop pretending to be the woman of faith and power. It's really just paste and flour. Hallelujah. You're going to get some authenticity into your heart and into your life. And I believe this. To get a vision from God is that you need to be able to, you need to, be able to understand this about your life today. Is that God wants to meet with you. He wants to meet with you. He wants to meet with you more than you want to meet with Him. He's waiting for you every day. He's waiting for you at that place that we've just talked about. And sometimes we're up, we're off to work and we've gone and Jesus is thinking, hmm, I think I just got ignored. God made us to have relationship with him. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And Jesus is waiting for us every day as we take that opportunity. So the first thing we're going to do, we've got to want it. Second thing, we've got to withdraw. Jeremiah 33, 3 says this, and this is a great promise to us. Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not yet know. There's the promise for us, friends. If you'll call, if you'll start desiring this more than anything else for your life, instead of just being like a compass that's just got a magnet next to us that's just spinning around, you don't know which direction your life is. If you're prepared to call upon the Lord, then He says, I've got some things I'm waiting to share with you, but I've got to see that you're serious first because I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. If you're going to trample underfoot my words, my revelation for your life, why should I give it to you? But if you're prepared to steward what I'm going to share with you, if you're prepared to take it into your spirit, if you're prepared to incubate the Word of God and that vision within your heart, then I'm going to begin to unpull back the veil and I'm going to show you great and mighty things that you don't know about yet. Isn't that an awesome promise, guys, this morning? Hallelujah. You know, palm readers won't tell you, tea readers won't tell you, astrologers won't tell you, the stockbroker won't tell you the future, but God will tell you the future if you're prepared to get alone and come aside with you. So the third thing when we get alone with God is that we need to wait. And this is the thing that many of us, including myself, many of us find very, very difficult, but it is one of the master keys of downloading any kind of revelation from God. If you're just going to go to that place, right, you want it, you're prepared to withdraw and find that place where you can connect with God, but you're not prepared to wait, then I want to tell you you're going to go away disappointed. And let me explain to you uh, this morning. You see, the reason why many of us never hear God is that our minds are operating at a very high RPM, revolutions per minute. 
your brain is just going so fast. You're thinking about all the things that you need to do. You're thinking about all the relational connections that you have. And you, and you haven't slowed your mind down. So when you withdraw, you've got to learn how to wait on the Lord. You've got to learn to begin to calm your mind down. And I simply say this, that hurry is the death of all prayer. Hurry up, God, and speak to me. Hurry is the death of prayer. You're never going to be able to connect with God at a deeper level if you're always hurrying. Hurry through my devotion. Read the word for today. That's it. I'm on my way to work. Friends, it's not going to cut it in terms of you really want what I'm talking about today. I mean, it may help you. It may sustain you for an hour or two. But it's not going to cut it long term for your life. We're talking here about slowing yourself down, slowing your brain down, slowing your mind down so that you can come to that place of peace and quietness. And you can't do that fast. You've got to wait. You can't calm yourself down quickly. So Habakkuk chapter 2, he says this, I will wait. The NIV says this, I will station myself. I will station myself. What does it mean to station ourselves? It means to stay put. Have you ever seen those guards? When we, Viv and I, it was really funny. When Viv and I went to London at the start of this year, we hadn't been before, and, uh, and we just went for a walk one day, and suddenly we ended up, because we, we didn't know where we were going, we ended up right in front of Buckingham Palace, and it was the changing of the guards. And, uh, you know, in London, they've got these um, guards. Uh, what are they called, Sam? The beef eaters. And they've got the big furry hats. Have you seen them? You know, and you'll see sometimes on YouTube videos, you'll see people trying to make them move. Trying to make them give a smile. You know, they're just staunch. They're resolute. They've got their gun there and they're just staring straight ahead. They're rock solid. You cannot make them move. They are there. Because why? That's their station. They're stationed there. They're fixed. They're rot solid. They're not moving at all because they have taken their station. How about you when you're in prayer? What shifts you out of your station? Is it suddenly a thought that comes? Is it something that you forgot about and you've got to go back and suddenly before you know it, you've broken out of your rhythm and you're off into your day? We've got to find our station. We've got to find that place where we can get still before God and begin to hear what He has to say to us. And the truth is, is that God will always be heard by those who take time to listen. Amen? You know, what, what about the Psalms? The Psalms are filled with songs written by David. And the Bible says that David said this, David sat patiently and waited for the Lord. Can you sit patiently? That's what they used to say to me, Anson. Yeah, you've got ants in your pants. You've got ants in your pants. That was the nickname when we were kids. But sometimes we, we act like we've got ants in our pants. We can't stop moving around. We can't get still. We've got to train ourselves. You think those soldiers knew how to do that before they went into their training? Uh-uh, they were trained so that no matter what came towards them, they were able to stay at their station. I will wait for the Lord. I will stay at my station, the NIV translation says of Habakkuk chapter 2. So, so I want to ask you the question about how you can slow your mind down. And the thing is, is that I guess most of you would agree with me today is that the way that you feel physically often affects your mood. 
right? You ever seen a kid after a bottle of Fanta? <laughs> zoom, zoom, zoom around the room, room, room. They're like bouncing off the walls, aren't they? And so if you don't feel good, then often you don't think good. Try and be a philosopher when you've got a toothache. See how deep in philosophy and thinking you can go when you've got a tooth that's aching. You can't think about anything except for that ache that is in your mouth. And in the same way, what we need to learn how to do is to slow our bodies down so that our minds can begin to slow down and stop spinning around at such high revolutions so that we can begin to zone in on God. And so if we get a relaxed body, we get a relaxed mind. These are just practical tips on how you can meet with God and the things that I've had to do. I tell you what, when I first got saved and I was being mentored in the place of prayer, my mentor, he would stay in the presence of God for three hours, three hours with a blanket over his head, worshipping God in a flat where all of us were in the flat. And he could stay there for three hours. I just didn't know how he could do it. I'd get in there for five minutes and I'd start twitching. Start wanting to move around. Start wanting to... You see, we've got to train ourselves to wait in the presence of God. To wait. Elisha the prophet, he found a good key for hearing from God. In 2 Kings 3.15, Bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Some people like to have that beautiful, gentle background worship music going on. It helps you to connect with God. It helps you to get still. It helps you to focus. The point is, whatever it takes to still your mind and to slow you down so that you can wait on the Lord, that's what we need to do. Isaiah 40, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Are you out of energy? Are you feeling tired, fatigued, lacking energy today? Then I want to tell you, the answer to you is to learn to wait on God and He will renew their strength. It says, even the young men will faint and grow weary. Even the young men. You know what the Bible says? The glory of young people, the glory of young men is their strength. And the Bible says, even the young men get tired and weary. How do they get re-energized? Waiting on God. Waiting in the presence of God. Waiting on the Lord and their strength is renewed like the eagle and before long they're soaring again. They're seeing things with an eagle eye. They're able to just go from one place to another just on a wind current without flapping their wings. They're just able to soar. So here's a couple of little tips before we finish on this point this morning and this is this. When you wait, learn to wait quietly. Psalm 62 verse 5 says this, I will wait quietly for the Lord, for my hope is in Him. I will wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. You just begin to focus, just begin to get your mind quiet. By the way, it's not emptying your mind, because biblical meditation is actually focusing on the Word. It's not transcendental meditation. Eastern philosophy and religion teaches you to empty your mind of all thoughts. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is focusing in on the Word of God. So as you quiet yourself down, I will wait quietly before scriptures are just flowing through your mind. The Word of God is flowing through your mind as you're focusing in on God, as you're focusing on the beauty, the majesty, the greatness of the Lord. And you're beginning to hone in. I will wait quietly. Second, wait patiently. Patiently. 
Psalm 37 verse 7, be still. That means don't move. Be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. Once your body is still and your mind is quiet, you become more sensitive to the voice of the Lord. You become more sensitive to the presence of God. And you will begin to hear him as you've never heard him before, as you wait in the presence of God. You're going to become a lot more open to the Lord as you wait patiently. Here's a good saying. Inner calm is the intercom of God. Inner calm is the intercom of God. When you're able to bring a calmness into your life, away from the helter-skelter of your busy lives, you're able to come to that place of inner calm. That's why Jesus withdrew, away from all distractions. You see, friends, the, re- the, the, the reality of this is, I was saying to our leaders yesterday, you think about the word responsibility, it's made up of two words, response and ability. And often we all know when we've actually hit our level of responsibility because we no longer have the ability to respond in the situation. We've topped out. And often we top out. You know why we top out? Because we're relying on our own strength. And when we rely on our own strength, our ceiling is lowered. But when we're relying on the Lord, we have the ability for greater responsibility because we, we have the ability to respond in tricky, dicey situations that would cause others to be, have their legs to cut out from underneath them. You're still able to stand because you've connected with God and you have the ability to respond in high-pressure situations. Amen? Amen? So, when you get to that place, God says, hello. And you can say, hello, Lord. I can hear you. I can hear your voice today. And lastly this morning, wait expectantly. This is the faith factor. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. By faith, the saints of old conquered lions conquered nations were able to face martyrdom because of the level of faith that they carried within their hearts. And when you have the faith factor, all of a sudden when you come before God, there is an expectation that God is going to speak. There's an expectation that you're going to have a meeting with Him. There's an expectation as you wait expectantly for the Lord. As this, listen to this, Psalm 105. I wait expectantly, trusting God to help, for He has promise. Amen, church? So waiting on God is never wasted time. Waiting on God is never wasted time. You will begin to hear the voice of the Lord. So just a summary today. What's the first step? We've got to want. We've got to want to hear from God. We've got to want that dream. We've got to want that vision. Stop just being satisfied with your own vision, your own dream. Want it, desire it with all your heart. The second thing is that take time to withdraw often as Jesus did. You know, you've got to sometimes, husbands and wives, you can't always pray together. Sometimes some of you need to pray together. <laughs> but sometimes you can't always pray together. You've got, to, you've got to come alone with God on your own and withdraw to that place of solitude, that place of focus. And can I just say this? Without a shadow of a doubt, I've tried every rhythm, every pattern. 
uh, as, as a Christian since I, got, uh, since I came to the Lord. And there are a number of scriptures that encourage us to rise early in the morning. All right, depends which stage of life. You know, Leanne's been up with the baby all night, you know, and we're saying, you still got to get up at five o'clock for your prayer time, Leanne. And she only just got to sleep at 4 a.m. You know, we're not putting a burden on anyone. You've got to know what stage of life that you're in. But the reality is this, friends, is that the best time to meet with God is before you do anything else in your day. The greatest time that you can hear God is before your day starts and before the world has woken up. Before the world wakes up, you get alone with God and you find this incredible connection with God and you build it as a habit and a rhythm within your life, friends. It just means this, no more nightline. No more late news. No more watching that favourite TV programme. Because at the end of the day, if you want to get up 30 minutes earlier, you're going to have to go to bed 30 minutes earlier. It's just, it's just practical stuff that's going to help you to be able to connect with the Lord. You've got to change some of the time clock body rhythms of your life in order to be consistent and meet with God. And the last thing to remind ourselves is that we've got to wait for God. The truth is, if we're burning the candle at both ends, we're not so bright. <sighs> if we're burning the candle at both ends, we're not so bright. Because you can't keep doing it without physically something giving way to ourselves.